show with two retired detectives that were in the thick of New York crime, fast and hectic. They got some stories and some jokes. Even an interview with the most popular folks. Off the cuff, off the cuff. One episode just saying enough. Get a little laughter and an interview too. Wow, it was, I almost wasn't quick enough with the intro. <laughs> it was a commercial. I looked at it on the computer. They threw a commercial, and that's what um, it is. It is the judge. I'm on my phone because I can't seem to get this to work on my Judge, that, that's fine. I was wigging Perfect. out. I was like, "Where you want to you want to put your phone horizontally, or you think that looks good there? Uh, I could try Let's to see. turn it horizontally. Yeah, uh, I, think, I think horizontal's I better. Then. Um, let me try to somehow bring this up I don't know if I could get let's see as long as there's space between your your head and the top of the screen uh, it'll be fine you might have been better off the other way rather uh, you than know what? yeah uh, yeah just keep it the other keep it uh vertical then you're looking pretty as ever judge we just want to see a bigger uh, picture of that pretty <laughs> you know what so, if if you let me get up one second, I can get a higher book. All right, go ahead, Judge. We'll talk. Okay. We'll talk while you're gone, folks. Uh, welcome to Police Off the Cuff: Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon. Uh, today with me, as in most times, uh, my co-host, straight out of Brooklyn, Phil Grimaldi. How you doing today, Phil? Very good. Thumbs up, all you new people out there, subscribers. Give us a thumbs up and hit the subscribe button. We got a great guest today, Judge Patricia Demango. There she is setting up. If we ever and get folks, her, if, if she ever gets everything right, yeah. There we go. Perfect. You got it. You got it together, Judge. Folks, if you're not subscribed to Police Off the Cuff, please go to our YouTube, hit that subscribe button, ring that bell, give us a thumbs up. Now I'm going to introduce the pretty judge to here today. And are you allowed to say that these days? I don't even know. I mean, know? personally, I'm good with it. I'm good with it. Because you're an old-time Brooklyn girl, right? That's I right. should also say uh, Judge Patricia Demango, straight out of Brooklyn. She's not a left coaster, <laughs> even though she's there tonight. But she's straight out of Brooklyn, too. I love it. I love <laughs> from it. Sp from Spumoni Gardens. <laughs> Judge I Patricia. I don't, I don't know about, about that either. Gardens, I'm just, but yes. I'm, it's great to see you, Judge. Thank um, you. It's great to be here again. Yeah, I mean, you know, people love you. I mean, uh, Phil and I could go off the show and you could talk for the next hour, but uh, people are excited that you're on the I show. I need the two of you. I need the both of you. Oh, okay. That, that, that's that's good Judge. to hear. Thank you. So, Judge, well, as you know, we're covering uh, the Gabby Petito case. And, of course, the happenings, uh, the big happening was that Brian Laundrie's uh, remains were found and the Carlton Reserve, the Mayakatachi Creek Reserve, and some strange uh, goings on with this because they had searched that very same location three or four weeks ago, and it was covered in, they say, two to three feet of water. The waters receded. The parents somehow were either summoned to the park 
or go to the park in the same area that they had previously reported uh, Brian was missing. And lo and behold, they find some of his belongings, a notebook, a backpack, some other things. And it just sounds very, very strange. And all of a sudden, they find body parts. And we now find out that the body parts are, are skeletalized remains which says a lot about the decomposition of the body and how long the body was out there. One of the problems with that is it'll be very, very difficult to uh, find out a cause of death. And of course, a time of death will be nearly impossible to do with any real accuracy, maybe within a week or four or five days, maybe they can predict it. But science isn't necessarily going to predict it. So we have a lot of, there's a lot of conjecture on this case, which there has been the whole time. And um, that's why we brought you in here today, tonight, Judge. Uh, to add to, well, the, to, add to, to, the, add to the conjecture and, the, you know, no, maybe some some facts and some science, science with this, even the science of the law. Um, what are your feelings about this in regards to the recovery of the remains of Brian Laundrie? I think first it's pretty clear that the, aspects of this case that are holding the public so tightly and are drawing the public uh, to wanting to know more is the fact that there are so many unanswered questions. And in part, I think that's attributable to the fact that there are so many different agencies, so many different states, so many different departments involved in, in the information and in disseminating the information. The FBI seems to be keeping everything very close to the vest. Uh, we don't know whether or not the general, the police involved are not reporting anything because they're being told not to say anything by the FBI or because they just don't know anything. So this is kind of, it's, it's been, it's intriguing. And at the same time, it's very sad. And it really is, uh, you know, and I think people feel for all the parties here. I too, when I heard that the park, uh, had been closed for a month while the police were investigating, and that just five days before the discovery of these remains, nothing was was found. And it wasn't until the park was reopened to the public, it was a day later that the Laundry family actually showed up there. And once again, I totally agree with you, Phil. We don't know at this point whether they said, hey, can we go look again? Or they, the police said, can you come and help? Or... Um, so we don't know how they got well, what, there. Or what about the there, police? Or judge, what about the police? Hour, there was a discovery. Now, what's interesting about this is, I, and I was been asking myself this question. If the police said, let's shut down the park so that we can look for uh, Brian where we think he might be or we, where we've been directed to look, and this kept the laundry family out, then is it possible that if the police would have said, could you guys come with us and help us, that maybe they would have discovered him alive in that area? I mean, what happened here? What happened that suddenly, you know, in a half hour, the remains are found, the knapsack is found, a notebook is found in an area where it seems that we've been told the uh, police and the FBI have been actually uh, searching very, very strange. I'm just going to play a quick, um, I'm going to add a quick video to the screen. and That's Bill's favorite reporter. Yeah. Would, would have gotten to those remains and participated in, 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 a, in 
those remains have decomposed and Florida wildlife without question in some way, at some degree, at some level, got at the remains of Brian Laundry. Now, it, it's remains that were likely in water for an extended period of time. And those waters have receded. We, we've had such a dry month here in October in Sarasota County, right here in the Tampa Bay area. It's been, we've been, our meteorologist, our Max Defender 8 weather team here has been talking about how dry it's been. I'm looking at Rebecca Barry, our meteorologist who's on the air. Well, just basically he's talking about how it was discovered underwater, but how about, how about the property? How about the backpack? How about his notebook? Was that underwater too? One of the questions I had was I had read somewhere that the coroner said that the the way his body had been decomposed, the way it was just bones, that that could not have occurred from being submerged for four to five weeks. That that type would, it's probably much more likely that it was animals and other things because there was not even any flesh. And my question is similar to yours. And I think, you know, this is something that great minds think alike. Um, what about the backpack? Have they let us know that it was wet, that the papers had been subject to uh, sub being submerged? Uh, did the backpack, why didn't it float away? Were there things in it? What, could they read the papers? I mean, something submerged in water for that amount of time, I would think, would be pretty much illegible, if, if, if not totally disintegrated, the papers at least. You, ahead, you know Phil. what, Judge? I just want to jump in here. A couple of things real quick. Just on the backpack, before I go into what I was going to say about the other stuff, uh, the backpack allegedly is one of these waterproof hiking backpacks. Might be somewhat waterproof. So that That's a little bit hopeful for me regarding if the, the notebook was inside the backpack. Maybe the writings were protected. They did say yesterday, I saw this on the news, that the family indicated that it was uh, the backpack was some type of a, a hiking backpack that is somewhat uh, waterproof. Now, don't forget, it could have been exposed to animal life. There could have been food in there. Uh, some type of an animal might have chewed through it to get at the food. So, again, it may not be intact. It may be uh, torn apart or whatever. But going back to the body itself, now, we're saying that the remains were recovered. Probably skeletal remains is what we – oh, we lost the judge. Did, I, did we lose everybody? Hello? Oh. I don't know what Phil, happened. I pulled everyone out on purpose. Just keep talking. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm giving you the screen. It's an Oh, okay. <laughs> sorry about that. Um, going back to the skeletal remains, we believe it to be skeletal remains. Um, th there's a couple of things. Now, the judge said that she heard a report from a doctor that said he didn't think it could be uh, no flesh on the body just from being submerged in the water. I'm going to disagree with that, and I'll tell you why. I've had DOAs, we call it a floater in the NYPD, where a person is submerged in the ocean, and they float up uh, usually around the springtime when the waters start to get warm, and that happens, that occurs. And I had a DOA that was fully intact. However, no flesh had been in the water for quite some time. Now, those are cold ocean waters. If you take swamp water that is uh, higher, much higher degree temperature, uh, that accelerates the uh, decomposition process. The skin just uh, sort of like falls off the bones uh, from, you know, the, I hate to put it in this context, but you think about it with, you know, when you cook meat, 
bones, something with bones in it, as you cook it, eventually the meat just falls off the bones. So I think that that could be a component. Obviously, that reporter said it. The wildlife is definitely a component. And then uh, with, we've been told that the uh, positive identification was done through odontology. An odontologist was brought in through the dental records. Now, most people don't realize that when you go to the dentist, each tooth is numbered. So if you have a cavity in tooth 31, let's just say for argument's sake, they can pull up your dental records. They can go to tooth 31 because um, uh, tooth 31, they, uh, you, you, the jaw and the teeth basically remain intact no matter what happens to that body forever. So um, that was probably part of the identification process. They got his dental records. They may have gone to uh, the scene with an x-ray machine, as Bill said earlier, on his afternoon show from his uh, from his garden in, in lovely <laughs> upstate New York. Sometimes um, I go live from the yard, Judge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's becoming a thing. It's becoming a thing. A lot of other podcasters are doing the same thing. So, But anyhow, getting back to the point, they could have brought a, a portable x-ray machine machine and and did it there or they could have did it when they removed the remains back to the coroner's office for the medical examination so that's how we know that the uh the identification was done however there's still ways of drawing dna from bones uh if the skull was intact the brain if the torso was somewhat intact deep tissue inside the chest cavity there's ways of drawing blood for toxicology, for DNA purposes. So there's a lot of examination going on is the point that it probably already took place and may still be taking place. But uh, we're going to get a better idea when they do release the coroner's uh, you know, cause of death and uh, what they found in the examination. Um, the fact that I, my opinion is this, I think Brian was in that wooded area from when his parents reported him missing. They had gone on this camping trip in that same reserve. So they may have known the exact spot. Uh, it was probably a big mistake on their part to let him go alone since he was in a depressed state, according to what their lawyers telling us. And my indication on this, or my guess, or my opinion is going to be a suicide, whether it be a self-inflicted gunshot wound, uh, could be a hanging uh, and I, I go to that because it sounds like the skull was was intact. So, uh, you know, if he hung himself uh, with all the different things going on in that uh, that nature preserve, the, the, the skull could have been, you know, uh, thrown aside from the rest of the body. It could have been, you know, animal. Uh, Phil, 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 we, we, we know. Go ahead. We, we know he's ID'd. We know it's positively him. Right. Now everyone's conjecturing. Was, how did he die? We know that. Yeah. Right. They did. They did not do DNA that I know of. They it was all through the dental records, the right. oncology. Right. But with regard to your speculation as to the, you know, the manner of death, strangulation, but through through hanging, there would be some evidence that on a tree or something higher above the water that there was something hanging or a rope. There's no gun. I mean, if anything, we we don't the know if there's no gun though, Judge. We toxicology might have revealed a drug overdose. Uh, right. death through drug poisoning or drugs but without the uh without the flesh and all i'm not so and and the organs i'm not so sure it would be how easy it is if at all that they could make a determination as to death by some sort of um drug well yeah they'd have to do toxicology and, and what's left to do toxicology on except maybe bone marrow. And I don't, I don't know. know. Can they do it that way? I don't, I don't know. I don't know yeah, for sure if they can find that, it out. That those things that well, if, be... it, if his skull is intact, they could probably do toxicology from his brain 
Because if, uh, yeah. if the brain's still there, though. You yes, know, that's true, you too. Know. I, I, you know, listen, I, I mean, four weeks in the wilderness, uh, I think there's a good chance there's going to be a, an intact skull. Let me, I mean, let me just oh. add this to the stream because here's an expert. Let's hear what he has to say. Sure. We know uh, that they've been there a long time. We know that there were clothes, apparently, beside the remains. And reports say the same clothes that uh, Brian Laundry was wearing when he left on that hike. And then we hear it's dental records. I'm sure that's all normal to you, but take us a little further into your science and help us with, you know, understand what's going on right now. First off, the most shocking thing for me, Ash, is the fact that they got this body identified so quickly with dental records. It's almost like they were prepared with them prior to. Generally, it takes some time to first acquire the dental records. You realize how quick this was? They were able to actually do the dental exam and get this body identified that quickly. They had these in their back pocket. They were waiting on this. Now, I don't know if they suspected that he was down or not, but that for me was particularly striking. So um, here's the question. A lot of people say, well, we, we now want to know how he died, uh, Joe. We want to know if it'll be really yeah. hard to determine how Brian Laundrie died? Did he, did he kill himself? Did he shoot himself? Did he hang himself? Did he overdose? Did he die of elements? And we it sounds to me like there's not a whole lot of tissue, which is really critical in your line of work. Can we find out how he died? Yeah, let's back up a little bit. You had mentioned skeletal remains. They're actually saying partial skeletal remains. And I've even heard one report that the skull might be compromised in some way that the, you know, there might be some elements of the skull missing. So what do we do? Well, you don't have any soft tissue. They've already stated that the body is skeletonized. And so that's, it's going to be a very difficult uh, task in order to identify something unless, unless there is specific trauma to an area like the skull that would give us an indication that this could be gunfire in some way, or that he had been struck in the head with a depressed skull fracture something of that nature. You're not going to be able to determine, for instance, if this was a strangulation. If what they're saying is true relative to absence of, of tissue, which generally is what skeletonized means. So you can't appreciate hemorrhage, that sort of thing in the neck area. You go down this road and you, you begin to think about, you know, well, did he hang himself? Okay, well, was there a rope adjacent? Did he shoot himself? Well, was there a weapon found there? And finally, people are asking, is this an OD? Well, circumstantial evidence we would look for is an open pill bottle or signs of illicit drug use. So, Joe, you know, um, they didn't say anything about a gun. It's the first thing I thought when a lot of people said, well, maybe he went in there and shot himself. Well, if you shoot right. yourself and you die, typically the gun isn't far away. It's not like you can spend a whole bunch of time afterwards after that gunshot and, you know, put it somewhere. So that so far is not information that we have. But regarding that information, when we were trying to get information with regard to Gabby Petito's autopsy, the, the coroner in Wyoming said, you know, I've been asked to keep that quiet for a few weeks. And I'm wondering if the same kind of thing could be going on here. No, I don't think it's a matter of them being asked to keep it quiet. I think that this is such a detailed investigation. Ash, there's so many elements from a forensic standpoint and from an anatomical standpoint that still have to be assessed. Uh, you've got a body, they're saying partial skeleton, remember that. So that implies to me that you have potentially scattered remains, which means they don't have a complete skeleton. Don't be surprised in the coming days uh, if uh, perhaps you see cadaver dogs coming back out there. 
uh, members of the ME's office coming back out there because what they would be looking for, for instance, are small particulate pieces of bone that maybe have been drug away by scavengers at this point in time. That's the key. You need all of the information that you can. You have to have it coalesce. You know, we've been through this same thing with when they recovered Gabby Petito. Uh, you know, the body was in the elements for three to four weeks. Uh, animals potentially had gotten to it. Uh, parts of the body could have been spread all over the place. And this one, uh, Brian Laundry was underwater which makes it even worse. But I just to, like to address a couple of things that Ashley Banfield said and was the gun could still be on the scene somewhere. It could be in the muck. If it was underwater, it could be buried down in the muck, which means they should comb the area with metal detectors. Also addressing strangulation. You could strangle yourself with a little cord. All you have to do is cut off the uh, carotid artery. And if you can do that for two or three minutes, you can hang yourself that way. And there'd be very little evidence other than there will be an indentation in the neck. But in this case, there's no tissue or skin left. So impossible to find that. You, you know what, too, Bill? Go ahead, Judge. Go ahead. I'm just, you know, I mean, obviously, there, there's two methods of, of his death here, by suicide, by his own hand, or a homicide. Uh, so even though we might not be able to figure out at this point in time what the actual method of his death was, I think it would make more sense that it appears to be a suicide because that would otherwise mean that somebody, a stranger, a family member, someone would have had to go to the location, find him, kill him, and leave him there, and then go. I mean, uh, it doesn't really make that much sense that a total stranger or a family member would take his life. I just, you know... It would make more sense to me that it was a suicide. It's probably the easiest way to kill himself would be through, some, through pills, drugs, or something. It's complicated to hang yourself in the manner that you've discussed, um, especially if, if it's, I mean, it just sounds difficult. And for the gun, I mean, yeah, there could be a gun, but I think that if the, they have the skull intact, even though you don't know if the brain is there, they probably would have seen some evidence of, of of damage from a gunshot. Uh, and I, yeah, and, I, I know, think I mean, they would from- see, bl- they would see blunt trauma to the yeah. skull. You know, the, the important thing is, is that what does this mean to the whole investigation of the death of Gabby Petito? Will we ever, ever know? And, uh, you know, Phil and I have been in the NYPD detective squad for a long time. And there's a closing that's called exceptional clearance. And what that means is that all indications, basically, if, you know, evidence uh, point to this person being the perp. However, the perp, the person is dead. So obviously you can't arrest this person. But the circumstantial evidence is huge. And there may also be uh, physical evidence on Gabby Petito. We don't know that. They haven't released the detailed results of the autopsy. So with all of that, can we close the murder of Gabby Petito, or is that going to be left open? That's an important thing to, well, to know. Let's look, let's just keep in mind that they didn't even think that they had probable cause, at, you know, before finding him. They didn't even think they had probable cause to arrest him. So, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sure how much evidence they're actually withholding from the public that we have, either both from Gabby and or from what they've just recently found at the crime scene. But if he, in fact, is their sole target, if 
he is the only one that they are now looking at and they have no other leads, then I would think that they would have to close this case um, with at this point. If they do have other leads, then of course, they would be still looking in that direction to see whether or not there is anything else. And I guess if there is nothing else, they close it up as a cold case. Would that be correct, detectives, sergeants? I don't see this uh, as a cold case at all. I see it as- Not in the future? No, I see them closing it with an exceptional clearance. They're going to close it based on their investigation so far and the fact that he's now dead. But I got to make two points. One, we talked about a possible self-inflicted gunshot wound and, and everybody's saying, well, the gun isn't there. The gun might be a very far distance because the body could have been dragged by alligators or animals. There's a, there's a big, big area there. That swamp is 25,000 square miles, so it's huge. And you have uh, all kinds of animal there, wild boar, alligators, all different types of, of wildlife there. So just because where the skull was found doesn't mean that the gun should be right next to it. Bill That's made a great probably point. probably why that they want to put the body together because if they find the additional parts... There might sure. be parts lying sure. alongside, for instance, right. something like you're talking about that caused, of course. That caused his death. Um, of course. And really, they can't really start with, with it until they do put as much of the body together as possible. And like they were saying, this you know, there are small bones and all that might really reveal you know, how the death occurred. But yeah. I think that you're right, uh, Bill. What does all this mean with regard to this case? Because clearly this does not seem, this isn't going to close a chapter on it just yet. No, I, I don't think it's, that we're waiting to hear. Yeah, I don't think it. Uh, the, the investigation is probably still in high gear. But uh, the, the fact that water came in and then receded, this body could have been moved a great distance from where he actually was killed. Now, there was one other thing, Judge. You brought up suicide, homicide, absolutely 100% on the money. Uh, there's also another element that we have to think about. He could have been interacted by an alligator or an animal. He could have been killed by uh, some of the wildlife that's out there. So, Or even maybe the elements. I don't know how cold so it so okay. then, an accidental death, basically. Yes, so there's, you're there's also it that been accidental. It could have I mean, been homicide. Yeah. Could have been suicide. Yeah, of yeah. course. In that kind of environment, he could have starved to death. We sure. don't know anything right now. He right. could have starved. He could have fallen. He could have hit his head, not gotten up. I mean, the water could have come. Could have drowned him. I mean, there's there's so many different things that could have occurred here to lead to this death. That I think you're right. At this point, it's difficult to 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 rule out any one of those three. Um, uh, methods of death. Sure. You know, of course, Judge, everyone in the chat, and uh, I've heard this said before, they want to know what's in that notebook. Was yeah, there a suicide too. note? Right. Everyone wants, was there a suicide note in that uh, in that notebook? Who now has possession? It is, is, does the FBI have it? Does the local police have it? We want to know that, you know. Uh, Diggy Siggy, <laughs> Detroit Siggy, thank you for the $5 super chat. Jackie, the kid, Jack alone. I don't know what that means, but you can shout out. You just shout it out to somebody, but thank you. Um, so yeah, what does that mean? What's in that notebook? How does it make any sense that the backpack and the notebook and all that stuff was dry? If in fact it was. If, if when, it was, right. We don't even yeah, know. We that. don't even know. Right. We don't even know that it, when the body and everything was else was under two to three feet of water, at least they have video of that from, you know, helicopters. <laughs> I think for sure they were able to say it was his backpack. I think the parents were able to say that was his backpack. That that's how he le he left with it. But you're right, and that's how they said, well, it was his property. But you're right as to its contents and whether or not they 
sustained the water, the elements. Uh, we don't know what was said, but I would, I myself, I mean, that was my big thing. What happened? Was there evidence that it was, uh, it was wet and what's in it? Yeah. You right. would think it'd be indicative if someone's going to commit suicide under these circumstances, they may leave a note. So that's definitely something they would, they should be looking into. Even if the pages of the notebook are wet, there might be possible ways to bring it to the crime lab and possibly it didn't disintegrate. You know, if it's in the water that long and the paper just crumble into nothing. Yeah, that, that's true. I, 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 they, they're probably doing a very careful examination of all of that. If it's intact, if it's not intact, if it was underwater. So I'm sure that they're looking at all of that, but they also said that clothing was recovered in the area as well. So I guess, uh, you know, his parents knew what clothing he went out of the house with. And, you know, I, I'm kind of feeling like maybe they went to, a location in the woods for him to hide out. And then all of a sudden now he's not, he's not contacting whatever. And then they, you know, they may have reported him. Then there's a lot of questions that need to be answered by the laundries. I mean, I know that they have to grieve their son now, but uh, there's a lot of questions I would really like to pose. To Phil, them. I, I want I mean, to put, I don't I, think there was any evidence that he had a phone with him and that they were able to trace the phone. There was, you know, it's location. No, I don't there, think they there, had that. Yeah, he, supposedly he left his new. He had just gotten a new cell phone within days of going out on that camping trip. Uh, they they have the uh, they have the uh, video from I think it was AT and T store uh, in the area of him getting a new phone. So when he came back from Florida, again more circumstantial evidence. He's now uh, getting a new phone and stuff. But uh, they said that he left his wallet and his phone at home when he went out on this last hike where we was last seen in the. Uh, I guess it's called the Mayakatachi. A creek, mm. but it's also part of the uh, Carlton Reserve. Listen, I want every, you know, everyone has been, of course, villainizing this attorney, Stephen Bertolino, and uh, he's not a soft and cuddly guy. And I'm just going to play us a, uh, a little bit of this uh, interview he did. This is the loss of a loved one. They're grieving. Tonight, the search for the only person of interest in the murder of Gabby Petito is over. The FBI saying that the Nature Reserve in Sarasota County are those of her fiance, Brian Laundrie. All right, let's move. Let's move along with this. Wednesday, the Carlton. I can't hear them. Yeah, let, let me. I, I, I. His family's attorney. You know, you can't vilify a man for doing his job. He's the. He's their attorney. He's there to protect their interests, their rights, and he's going to take a position that, in a situation like this, is not going to have. Uh, it, it is not going to make the public happy. But nevertheless, right. he has a job he has to do. And if it were your son or you or your family, I think you'd want somebody to do that job for you. You know, you know, Judge, that's what I think a lot of the people that uh, we have a lot of uh, fans, a lot of subscribers from uh, Europe, and they don't understand the American system. Yeah, it is, and, it is different. And, and early on in this investigation, uh, the family as well as Brian Laundrie did invoke counsel, which we know as detectives, as police officers, that uh, – that means law enforcement cannot speak to them. They're clamming uh, up, right? So uh, you want you want to touch upon that since that is one of the hallmarks of the criminal justice system. If you invoke counsel, uh, the police cannot interview you. Yeah, it, it's and it's a it's a very fundamental right that we have, especially in New York. The right to counsel is, is crucial, and if uh, if you invoke that right, then the police cannot question you. Um, and of course you can make voluntary statements, you could blurt things out, but they really cannot do anything to either directly or indirectly 
provoke you to make a statement, an inculpatory statement. Uh, you have a Fifth Amendment right to not to uh, not to incriminate yourself. And we have every reason to believe here that, I mean, it's not an indication necessarily that you've done something. It's just a right that you have. And if we start to say, well, if you invoke that right, then you must have done something wrong. Well, then we're undermining the Constitution uh, and what it's meant to protect. You know, Judge, Judge I'm just going to hold it, uh, Phil. I want to okay. put this on the screen. I want to. Uh, getting the getting the news that your your child is no longer, you know, with you is sad under any circumstances. Uh, the fact that uh, the laundries have been subjected to these uh, people out in front of their house for the last uh, four weeks uh, and they continue out there today is just making it all the more difficult. Any idea or theory how Brian may have ended his life? You know, I, I don't want to speculate. Uh, I, I try not to do that. Uh, I would hope people would stop doing that as well, especially with respect to this case and with respect to, uh, you know, the cause or, or, or how Brian is, you know, came to be dead. I, I don't know. And, you know, we'll wait for, if, if possible, some type of cause of death uh, from uh, the experts. Steve, I want to go back to yesterday and that big discovery. I, I know this is not the first time Brian's parents have aided in the search, but the Laundries did decide to go and help investigators yesterday, both parents. Explain to our viewers what exactly prompted that yesterday. Well, I think the prompt was that the park or, or the Mayakahatchee uh, Environmental Creek Park was finally open to the public. Uh, my understanding was either open to the public on Tuesday or Wednesday, and Chris and Roberta decided that since it was open and you know, available to them. They wanted to go and look for Brian um, by themselves. Um, after speaking with me, I told them that I, I wanted to notify law enforcement so that we would have no issue. And, you know, I did text uh, my contact at the Northport Police Department. Uh, the response I got was, thank you for the heads up. And the law enforcement did show up at 7 a.m. at the park entrance uh, to meet Chris and Roberta. What do you say to all those people out there who say this is a really a strange coincidence? Both parents go out, mother and father, and then suddenly these big clues turn up, including what we now know are the remains of Brian Laundry. You know, I, as I said to you a moment ago, you know, I, I've known Brian since he was a, a small child. Um, so this is hitting me today, too. I'm a little bit angry um, that, that people are even speculating this way. Uh, and primarily because, you know, it's not just the laundries, it's it's local PD, it's the FBI. It was an independent news person who happened to be there filming. And th that's all fortunate that police were there and the film crew was there. Um, the FBI put out a statement. Uh, I forget the gentleman's name. He said, listen, we searched this area several weeks ago. It was underwater. There have been numerous people who have said this area was waist deep in water. I think every searcher who was out there will attest to that. So people with firsthand knowledge of the conditions of that park have said that this was under two to three feet of water, and yet still John Q. Public can't get it in their head that these areas were inaccessible, and the items that were located today, or I should say yesterday, perhaps couldn't be seen. So we're not just saying it. I'm not just saying it. The FBI is saying it. Everyone is saying it. And yet these platforms 
are still running amok with, with these ludicrous and, and I have to say, you know, nonsensical theories. You know, it's interesting. I, I could see that this attorney is upset, but much of this he created, of course, by, uh, you know, again, they have the right to remain silent. But maybe if the laundries had turned their son in, he would be alive today and, per and perhaps, you know, facing a trial for murder. But now he's dead. So maybe this attorney's advice wasn't all it was cracked up to be, and it resulted in, in the outcome here. And he's mad at the public. Look, I can see the public is doing some things that I find uh, egregious. For example, I don't think anyone should be protesting on their front lawn. I don't think TV stations should be parking, have their asses parked on his front lawn either 24-7. That's a little bit over the top. But you know something? They could have saved their son's life by having him turn himself in. And I think you'd have to be super naive to think that they don't know exactly what happened to Gabby Petito. I, I think they were more egregious in the fact that in the early days of this whole saga, when he came back from Florida, he must have, he had to tell them something. He had Gabby's van. She wasn't present. He had to give them some type of an explanation. I mean, she lived there for two years. But then once the family realized that she was missing and unaccounted for, and they started contacting Brian, they started contacting her, they were getting no response from both. Then they contacted the parents. I mean, listen, they're in, fully within their right, Judge, and I get it. They they have a constitutional right not to make any statements to the police. They don't have to uh, talk to the police. They got an attorney. I get it, and I'm all for that. But how could they have not given a phone call to that family and said, listen, we don't know where your daughter is. Something that, that to me, that was more egregious than anything. And again, Bill, one quick point. I agree with you. They were doing all the protesting. They shouldn't have been on their property. They could have been down the block. And then last night after the son was found dead, he was identified it, that it was him. The remains were his. They were out there again last night in the dark, right on their front lawn with the reporters, with the camera and the microphone. Give those people a little bit of, they may not be the most favorite people in the world at this point, but give them a little bit of space. They lost their son. They shouldn't be in front of their house uh, broadcasting live news. You, you know, you, we're kind of imposing on them a, um, a, almost a moral obligation to say, you know, I understand that the, the Petito family is suffering, so let me come forward and tell you what I think, where my son is. And we really don't know what he what he told them. We don't know whether or not, you know, he, we have no idea really what we could surmise. And that's all we're doing in, in, in this, on these broadcasts. That's what pretty much, unless you're the forensic, uh, the, the coroner or you're on the judge. We, I don't mean to interrupt you. We don't know what he told her one, what he told his parents, 100%, but they had to ask, where's Gabby? She's been living here for two years. Where is she? You have a van. Yeah. And Where what if he you? said to them, we, you know, we, we're two weeks, two months together. We couldn't take each other. She asked me to drop her off uh, at at a friend's house. Well, they had an obligation then to tell the parents that. I mean, that's a that's just a a, a common I'm just, courtesy. I'm just, I'm just putting that's something what I, out there as a possible. You know, I mean, we're right. saying what could he have told her? He could have told them a lot of things. Sure. Uh, he, I don't know if he felt like he wanted to confess to his parents. Maybe he said, I don't want to talk about it. And they would have said, let's get the lawyer. Let's talk to him, see what he says. Maybe the well, lawyer but, spoke to him personally and not with them in the room, maybe with them in the room. The, the two you know, families, I'm not in a position to, to enjoy speculation. Like, you, no, you, no, know, you, you know, Judge, judge a, 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 frequent, a frequent guest on the show, Joe Murray, who's an attorney, 
he he had to throw us like a little left-handed compliment and or a left hook uh with a 499 super chat he says judge the mango please help me guide sergeant bill and detective phil to the reality of our fundamental freedoms in this country because I guess we don't know those. I don't need any direct freedoms, Thank Joe. You, Joe. And I, I know, you, Joe. Joe, enjoy your dinner tonight at Rayo's because you'll never get another reservation there. <laughs> no, but Judge, I, I get what you're saying. And believe me, I just feel like the family supposedly had a good relationship prior to this incident. They got along. They talked. Uh, she was living there for two years. How could That's you correct. have somebody under your roof for two years? And then that parent of that 22-year-old beautiful young lady is calling you and you don't answer the phone and tell them something? I mean, just picture, let's reverse it. They, it how about if it was their son that was missing? Wouldn't I'm they not be, saying that they're good people. No, 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 I know. I know. I'm just, was, was nice, but I'm just saying that you want to impose a legal obligation on no, them. No, 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 no. We, we, we know that they have a the right to remain silent. Not even, but, I'm not even talking about the right to remain silent. I'm talking right. about, you know, you, you, you know, you, because they had, we're not talking about a right to remain silent when they call her mother. If he wants to call her, they, the family wants to call the other family. That's not, that's not a, a fifth amendment issue. That's just a, that's just a decency issue. That's just a moral or an ethical or decency. Yeah. Well, how about not taking the calls of the family of Gabby Petito? That's decency. That's got nothing to do right, with, not, with, not with the Fifth and for, and they, To the point that they had to report her missing 11 days after he got home. Not, not only that, not only that, they had to report it 11 days. They actually tried to report her missing in Northport, and they were told, no, she's not missing, whatever. They had a reporter missing in Suffolk County, and the Suffolk County detective from the Suffolk County PD called Northport and said, hey, this is this is something serious. You better go knock on that door. That's how the whole thing got rolling, and that's why most of the people in the world that have plugged into this case have bad feelings towards the laundries because of the fact that they didn't communicate with this family. I mean, as human beings, they have a moral obligation. Listen, I'm not saying they had to have full conversation. And I'm conversation. on that page with you. I'm yeah. on that page with you. I'm just, you know, I'm taking a, you know, devil's advocate position here because we're kind of all over the place with what their legal, moral, ethical obligations were. And I don't think anybody disputes that we would have uh, the world wanted them to help, and they sure. they didn't for whatever their reasons were. Uh, pretty obvious, I guess, that it's their son, and they were acting on the advice of counsel. But the thing is, yeah, we all would have loved for them to sit because maybe maybe things, everything here would have turned out differently had everybody done something different. Absolutely, just a very sad tragic situation it, it's sad all around and there's a lot of you know we're going to go to a quick commercial and then we'll be right back and we'll we're going to touch upon more how does this affect uh the investigation of the homicide of uh, gabby petito joe murray attorney at law joe's in the chat tonight and he's uh he's really fired up it sounds like have you found yourself in a gym are you in need of legal counsel in the new york area do you need a victim's advocate well, Joe Murray is your man. He's not only an experienced trial attorney, he's also a retired 15-year member of the NYPD. He knows both sides of defense. His website is jmurray-law.com. That's jmurray-law.com. His telephone number is 646-838-1702. That's 646-838-1702. Or you could email Joe at joe at jmurray-law.com. Joe at jmurray-law.com. Folks, this is D. And Dee is a court stenographer, but in her side job, 
She it's, she has a company called These Designs. This is D, not those, and not them. These, right? So, what better way to honor a first responder than a personalized Christmas ornament that will act as a reminder of their hard work and dedication? Each ornament is three by five inches wide. In fact, let me show you the ornaments, uh, and can be customized with a name, badge number, county, etc. There's also room on the back for an engraved personal message to your favorite first responder. Each ornament has a few different variations depending on your likes. Please contact us and let us help you create a very unique gift for you to give to your first responder. Please leave all details in the customization box for name, etc., on the front of the ornament. And if you'd like an inscription on the back, leave those details in the customization box as well. You'll receive a confirmation before anything is printed. The, the website is dsdes-designs-107.myshopify.com. Christmas is around the corner, so let's get on this, folks. <laughs> and they're handmade, so they we don't have to worry about them being on a ship out in the middle of the ocean with the supply <laughs> chain backlog. And they're, and they're coming straight from Long Island, so I don't think you're gonna, it's right. going to be on a ship at all. So let's touch upon the fact, Judge, now. Uh, I have my feelings. I know Phil has his feelings. What's going to happen with the murder case of Gabby Petito? Is this going to be closed? Are they going to keep it open? With the theory that many defense attorneys have is that Brian shouldn't be the only person of interest. I hate that term. The only suspect in this case. There's well, others. That's what I had said initially when we began to broach this earlier. If he is the only suspect if or person of interest, if he is the only one that through all of this they have come to focus on and they've ruled out anyone any other possibility then this would necessarily close the criminal matter. If, in fact, there were other avenues that they felt they wanted to pursue or did pursue, and they still can lead to the potential of perhaps another person who caused the death of Gabby, then they might want to continue to keep the investigation open with that perspective in mind. I don't have any reason to believe that and I don't, in all the reports I've heard and newspaper articles that I've read, I don't have any reason to believe that there was a focus um, on anyone else. In fact, if you look at any, any uh, the autopsy report as to the cause of death, every time you read about death by throttling, death by strangulation, they refer to it, and I'm going to quote, as an intimate death. It's intimate because you're up close. You're in the eyes of the other person. You are right there. It's rare that a stranger would come about and just randomly throttle someone and shake them. And the reason why they were able to say that it was throttling and strangulation by hands, two hands around the neck, was because I believe that there was damage to the hyoid bone, yes. which is very deep within the throat. And that doesn't always happen, even in a, in a, strain, in a hanging, that wouldn't happen. So this is in this kind of manual strangulation. Um, so it's, it's to think that there might have been a random stranger that came about or that the two of them engaged with a stranger. Uh, I don't think they have any evidence or anything pointing in that direction. So that being said, if he is the most logical sole target that they have, his death would thereby terminate this investigation. Now, that doesn't mean that they can't, that the uh, Petito family can't pursue a civil action against his estate uh, possibly his family, but I, I can't imagine what kind of assets he has that would warrant even going that far. Um, 
so you know i i think that this is not the ending people want but i think they still want answers 100 you know judge i wanted to ask one other thing if now obviously gabby is dead brian is dead will the family or can the family now cooperate and tell what they know to law enforcement without criminal liability um do you mean that they if they were if what they say oh yeah say say they uh, yes no well say they agree to tell law enforcement what they know what brian told them i believe obviously it depends very much on what they know but you know i've been myself been trying to think of what type of offense would they be uh accountable for uh any one of the ones that you read, accessory in Florida or in the federal government, you talk about accessory after the fact. In New York, you talk about hindering prosecution. We don't have an accessory after the fact, but we have a hindering prosecution kind of that's almost parallels that. Um, it's not an acting in concert because they, to the best of everybody's knowledge, and there's never been any mention, they've never done anything to help him commit the crime if he in fact committed it. But these, these crimes, whether on the federal, the Florida, or New York, require that there be a crime committed, that he, that they, that the person that they are doing, helping, uh, assisting in some way, that he actually, there actually has been a felony committed, that there's proof. We still don't know that he committed a felony. So in a way, his demise prior to any conviction would kind of protect everybody, you know, the family, from any of these charges because they we don't know that they, that we don't know he committed a crime we can surmise we can guess in fact if you um one of the in florida i believe it was florida if you're charged with the um accessory after the fact i had done some looking at this you it's a defense that you just didn't give information over or that you refused to cooperate that doesn't make you uh, that doesn't make them able to charge you with hindering uh, with accessory after the fact. You you have no duty to report basically that you think somebody might have done something. They really they require that the person um, act that you are ex- allegedly assisting after the fact actually have committed the crime, and we don't have that here. Take that, Joe Murray. <laughs> Joe Murray's still right trying the judge's to, mouth. <laughs> Joe Murray's still trying to redirect the direction of this show, and I'm not letting him. I don't, well, I think that's the, pretty it'll cost him, it'll Joe cost, Murray that statement. Yeah. I mean, it'll, it'll, it'll cost you know, him a $15 no, 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 super chat. I'm just kidding around. Let, judge, that was great. That was actually great. And in my, my personal view and my personal feeling is I don't think that the laundries are going to wind up being culpable, and I don't think they should. I mean, listen, it was their son. They were trying to protect him. I get it. I I don't think it was the right thing. I think they should have came forward at some point. They should have definitely made an effort to communicate with uh, the Petito family. But they didn't. They went the route they went. Uh, They were the villains in this thing throughout the whole thing. But their son is now dead. The investigation is going to continue. They're going to come up with probably, there's a good chance they'll come up with some type of cause of death. But going back to what Bill was saying earlier about exceptional clearance in the NYPD now, I don't just, I get a homicide case 
I know who the perp is or I have a good idea. Perp shows up dead. I don't just write out a, a blue DD5. We call that a DD5, which, which is a complaint follow-up. Uh, I don't do a blue DD5 and say, based on my knowledge of this case, that the case is closed because so-and-so is dead. No, you have to corroborate why you believe the person who is dead is responsible for the murder. Now, they would probably cite, if they do something similar, an exceptional clearance, they're going to cite physical evidence that might be available to them. They're going to cite uh, electronic uh, evidence and, and electronic uh, means like videos or the cell phones. If the cell phone placed them at that location on the day that they believe he was uh, that uh, Petito was murdered. Then we have Kyle and Jen Bethune that uh, drove through and found the van. I mean, all of these different things are going to be circumstantial evidence that I would cite in a closing DD5 on an exceptional clearance case. This would corroborate. I'm not just saying, well, the guy who I believe as the detective on the case is dead, so I'm therefore I'm closing the case. No, I'm going to state all the corroborating evidence, and I'm going to also state there are no other suspects available at this time, and all investigative leads are being followed. And, you know, if something should change in the future, we believe that this is the, the person that committed the crime and therefore the case is going to be closed. That's what I think is going to happen based on what I could see from the outside. I just want to read this from the chat. Jen work that a ZZ out. That's uh, I don't, that's a great title. It's a great uh, online name. Uh, she says, if Brian's parents did not say what they know and what they know could have saved taxpayers millions and millions of dollars, they are culpable. They're at least on the hook for that money. Jen, I'm sorry. I, uh, I don't, I don't agree I don't with that. Know. I don't think there's any basis in law for that judge. You want to comment on that? Yeah, no, I, I have to, I have to agree. I have to agree with you, Bill. I mean, I know people want to get satisfaction somehow and they figure if the criminal justice system can't get it, if we can't hit them, you know, with prison or, or we, then maybe we can hit them in the pocket and get some money uh, because of the money that we've, that we've expended. But you know, you, you, we can't do that. No, I don't think Not so. In this case, Rainbow, I feel bad for everyone involved in this crazy story. I wish Brown Laundry knew Jesus. He could have repented, received God's forgiveness, and forgave himself and turned himself in. Best thing to have done. Yeah, I mean, look, there's so many opinions out there, you know, but we have to deal, all of us have to deal with the law and what is right by the law, not by, uh, you know, religion or, or what your feelings are. And, but everyone has an opinion in this case, and that's why I like to share uh, some of the opinions of you guys. Uh, bossy wife, I agree they went to get a car and look for him. I found out today the place they found him on that date was dry, not underwater. So, yes, why didn't Dad find him then? I don't, I don't really know that because there is evidence that where he was found three or four weeks ago was underwater. They actually have video from a helicopter to show that. That's, it's um, also the possibility I, I brought up earlier that the water may have pushed his body to where it was found. And then when it receded, it left it there. So we don't know exactly where this, where his demise took place uh, as far as with all the water coming in and the month being dry and then drying up. So anything could have happened with regard to the location where he actually fell and was dead. You know, I think that the, I think that the FBI and the investigating agencies, I think that they are well aware, at least should be at this point, of all the unanswered questions that people want answers to. And maybe when the case is closed out, um, as, as you were saying, uh, Phil, if it's, if and when it's closed out with the blue DD5, um, then 
I think it's possible that we might be able to get access to, to, to information that might answer some of our questions. And I think that we all have that hope because we do want to know. I, we, and if we want to know, could you imagine how the families want to know? Exactly. Um, exactly. So I, I really think that it's important that we get more information so that we can kind of sleep at night. You know, Judge, I brought up yesterday on another podcast that I think the family has the right to have a conference with the investigating officers, whether it be the FBI or whoever it is that's really leading the case. At some point down the road, they're going to have, I'm sure that the FBI has a pretty good idea what happened to Gabby Petito on the night that she was murdered, based on all the different things that we've cited already. So at some point, they should sit down with that family, and I, they probably will, and say, listen, here's what our investigation yielded. This is the results of our investigation. We think A happened, B happened, C happened, and so on and so forth. There's also going to be stuff that they could talk about regarding when Brian was coming back from Florida. Uh, after the alleged murder took place, we believe around the 27th, he's back in Florida on the 1st of September, August 27th to September 1st. He probably stopped along the way. There may be video of him in a 7-Eleven, a gas station, whatever. There might be marks on his face. So there's going to be a lot of little pieces of evidence that they could really present to the family. And I think that they should. That family is going to have, listen, with the death of Brian Laundry, there's going to be a lot of unanswered questions for that family, no doubt. There's a little bit of conversation that they don't have to go to bed at night and know that the person that probably killed their daughter is not out there somewhere, you know, doing whatever. They know where he is. Now, I don't think that that's, there's never closure for a family, especially when a 22-year-old kid is, is killed like that. But I think that maybe all of these little facts, they, they just want to probably in their own minds understand it, come to, uh, you know, just maybe, a, I won't even say accept it, but learn to live with it. And I think that they, they have the right to, to have that information. I think on some level, they probably wanted them to find him alive so that they could say yes. why. Not that yeah. he has an obligation to tell them, as I as we all know, he has a Fifth right. Amendment right to say nothing. But I think kind of, I think that's the underlying hope. Why? Why did this happen? And could it have been prevented? I think when you ever, whenever you have issues and I think the autopsy report also said that there were there was other evidence of domestic violence. I think that when you learn that, you think, why didn't I see it? How could I have interceded? Why didn't I help? You know, there's probably a lot of self-blame going on as well. If, when people, uh, you know, she was living with their, his family, so it's less likely that if there was domestic violence, they were going to say anything about it. But her parents uh, might be saying, if, if we only if we only knew... Um, if she would have told us that this was that he we, we would have gotten her away from him, maybe that's why she even went to Florida to live. Maybe they they were uncomfortable with what they saw in their relationship. You know, we don't we don't have so many we have so many unanswered questions from so many different uh, on so many different levels from so many different people that that as the general public is is well is very upset and confused. The, the okay. family said just that, Judge, that they wanted him to be found alive when they were on the Dr. Phil show. Uh, did Gabby they? Yeah, yes, Gabby Petito's family did say that. Uh, all of them the were hope agreement. was that they, he would tell them why. That was the hope, I would of guess. Course, of course, you know. of course. You know, Sandy F. says, how do they know for sure that piece of skull was Brian's because it had no flesh on it? We and the teeth on a skull isn't 100% proof it was his teeth. 
They took the odontology's 100% identification. That will yes. be followed up with DNA, I'm sure. They did. They will, yeah. They will definitely do DNA, but they took the dental, the odontology as a, they probably brought a portable x-ray machine right to the scene with his x-rays and they compared it right on the scene. So when you go into that. a dental office, but you know, it's quick. interesting, something you, I think both of you said before that I never, I didn't think of, but I, I really liked was they were probably assuming that after a month, if in fact, what they were saying that he was living in the wilderness is true, that they were expecting that if they found him, he could likely be dead. And if he was likely dead, he could have likely, likely been in the condition that we found him in. And you're right. They might've been accumulating all of this, the dental records and all of these things for an immediate rep because they identified him extremely very quickly. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. best of my understanding as you well know, is that the odontology reports are, are very accurate. The, the FBI also went, the FBI went to the house on several occasions and recovered items of Brian. So they may, they probably were on top of his dental records. That and was real maybe quick, for the dogs as well. Yeah, you know, for the dogs. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. But real quick, when you go for a dental exam, most people go every six months, they mark all the different things in your mouth. They even mark spaces in between your teeth. They, they, there's a number that they say number 32 has uh, seven or whatever it is. So it's really almost like a fingerprint. The odontologist, review of of uh, human well, remains. I would imagine that there's no two mouths and I thank goodness that other people don't have some of my dental issues. There must <laughs> there's um there's no two mouths that are alike. You're right. Very unique yes. like a fingerprint. So yes. you know if you know that my uh my rear tooth is has a, a post or this one has a crown or right. you know, it's the likelihood right. that very, very, very... That. and now with the way we do all of this they put it all up on the lap on the you know on the computer in the in the office and everything is is right there. Everything yes. is right there, like a panorama. And, and, and judge the person. The person makes the ID isn't uh, the mechanic at the corner garage. He's a right. dentist. No, they yeah. bring a dentist to the scene. I, I got to give Joe Murray. He's throwing money at me. I got to read what he says. Okay, Your Honor. See, he's even buttering you up. Your <laughs> Honor, please help me push back against the angry mob. These guys are still trying to convict him of a murder. The government, with all of the resources could not even establish probable cause of. Exactly. I mean, Joe, you're absolutely right. I mean, that's why we could talk all we want. And I was actually in, in a conversation with a friend of mine, my friend MJ, who works in the courts still. So she's really on top of the law. And we were saying, if, if in fact we don't even have probable cause or they did not have probable cause for an arrest, then how do we even, if you know, people say, well, you could bring a civil suit. Well, then how do we even get by, proof by a preponderance of the evidence? So- uh, there, you're right. There, there. At this point, and that's why all of these other offenses that they want to charge against the family just are not going to don't fly because we do not know. We do not have any definite proof beyond a reasonable doubt that Brian Laundry in fact committed the murder. Though in our hearts, and maybe in a lot of ways, we are like, who else could have done it? It had to be him. But you no. know, in a way, thank God the legal system doesn't doesn't go that way, right? Right, it, uh, Mr. Murray. Yeah, it doesn't go by <laughs> that. It doesn't go by motion. But I got a question for Joe Murray. Does he have access to the case folder on his case? Because we don't know that there wasn't probable cause for an arrest. We, they may have been getting ready to, to do an indictment. They they indicted him on the use of the, of the uh, credit card, the electronic uh, instrument. But we don't know the inside case. Uh, you know, we don't know what evidence they recovered from Gabby Petito's body. We don't know what evidence that they garnered that they had enough to arrest him. Uh, so I and, think, Phil, uh, what you're saying is, for all we know, their failure to make the arrest uh, or 
or not claim that there's probable cause could have been right. a strategic move for That's the purposes think, of not having, uh, yeah. you know, bringing in different rights that would accrue to somebody once they're arrested and charged with a crime. I'm going to yeah. defer to the sergeant in the homicide squad, Sarge. <laughs> what do you think about that, Sarge? Well, you, you know something, uh, again, as we say all the time, we're giving our opinions on a pol by a police perspective. But besides being retired uh, NYPD cops, sergeants, detectives, we're also human beings. We're parents. We have our own kids. And when we think about some of the actions that were taken during this case, I mean, what I would probably go to great lengths to protect either one of my sons, you know, but I would have to weigh that against ethics in a way. And what would win out the love of your son over what's right ethically. This is also made even more difficult by the fact that they had to have feelings for Gabby Petito. She lived with them for two years. I mean, how did they just view her? You know, so they were in a quandary. They were balancing all of that. Um, and I guess doing what parents do and that's protecting their own. And, you know, I, I, I can't speak to these issues because I, I just can't speak to them from a personal perspective. I could say in general, what I think and what you're saying, Sergeant, would you, you know, what you think when you hope people would do, we hope that people do the right thing. We hope that people can put their own personal feelings aside to bring peace and, and solitude to and solace to those who are in pain, but it doesn't always work that way. It's it's just we it doesn't work that way. You know what else too? The laundry family. Now, if they, I'm going to be a little hypothetical here, but if they help Brian go into hiding and he wound up killing himself, they're going to have to live with that for the rest of their lives. So, I, I mean, I'm not trying to you know put sympathy on them or anything like that. They did things that I didn't agree with, but uh, if there was that factor that they tried to keep him in hiding or help him or whatever it is, they went on that trip with the camper, maybe they you know, hid food in the woods or whatever to, for him to hide out till things blew over or whatever, and then he winds up taking his own life, or, or he could have been grabbed by an alligator and brought into the water. That's what a, an alligator does when it gets prey on land. It brings it in their water. So th there's a lot of different scenarios whether he killed himself, whether he was eaten by an animal, we don't really know. But uh, if that family did uh, try to protect him, and like Bill said, I would go, you know, I'd go to great lengths to protect my children. But uh, if they did, they have to live with that now. Robin Gearhart, uh, circumstantial evidence does matter. He took her van, her credit card, and what about her thing in the van? I don't know what you're referring to. I think she's referring to the incident maybe that the police responded to. That's the only thing right. I could think of. Okay. Um, yeah, circumstantial evidence always matters. Circumstantial evidence, we discussed this at the last. Thank you, Judge. Thank you. Thank you. That circumstantial evidence can often be stronger than direct evidence. And I think the example I used is, right. you know, direct evidence is what you, your senses, you see, feel, taste, hear. Uh, if, if a 90-year-old drunk doesn't have his glasses on and says, I saw her kill him, that's pretty weak direct evidence, whereas <laughs> you could have circumstantial evidence pointing to different things that might be actually much stronger than the 90 year old uh, drunk without his glasses on. So, right. uh, you know, you can't poo poo circumstantial evidence. You can't, but it really does require a building on one on top of the other, you know, different facts on top of, uh, you know, and, and different inferences. So 
Uh, and we do charge the jury that sometimes circumstantial evidence can be strong, as strong as or stronger than direct evidence. Yes. So, uh, yeah, but that, but maybe in this case, based on what we knew at the time, or no, they did. The FBI did not feel that there was sufficient evidence to reach uh, probable cause. One hundred percent. You know, guys, we're at uh, an hour and seven minutes at this part part of the show. I give each person a last uh, statement, and please don't make it uh, the Declaration of Independence. Just give me about 20 to 30 seconds. Phil, you go first. <laughs> Judge, thank you so much because that last statement you made about circumstantial evidence, it sort of vindicates what Bill and I have been saying since we started doing the podcast stuff, that sometimes circumstantial evidence could be just as powerful as an eyewitness, let's say, or something like that. So thank you, Judge. Thanks for coming on. You really, really shined a lot of good uh, light on the points and the law. And it was just great to have you here today. And again, uh, condolences to the Petito family. I can't even imagine what they're going through. Uh, Judge Domingo, last thank words. Thank you for having me. I, I do enjoy the discussion. And it is a discussion with people who are, you know, staying on top of things and informed. My heart goes out to everyone in this case, in particular the Petito family. Uh, my heart goes out. It's the kind of situation that we all want an answer to. We all want it resolved. And we all want to go to bed at night and say justice was done in this case, even though we couldn't bring uh, anyone into the court system. So somehow we want answers that will put us all at peace with what's gone on and with ourselves. Thank you, Judge. And again, uh, I re reiterate what Phil just said. Thank you so much for coming on the show. You're always a breath of fresh air. And even though you're on the West Coast, we know you're straight out of Brooklyn. And uh, <laughs> You know, I say to people, I go, hi, how are you? They go, oh, are you from New York? I go, how does everybody know? I know. Right. Everybody <laughs> well, I have that same I problem, it. Judge. But so. well, we got to mention Judge Domango's show, Hot Bench. It appears on a network. Every What is it on in the mornings, Judge? It's on every morning in New York, but you have to check your local stations and your state. But in New York, in, uh, it's on from 9 to 10. Uh, mm -hmm. And you have to check the local channel for it. We've been, you know, we're, we're the, like the number three daytime TV show. We are God doing bless. beautifully. We're great. Judge, God that's bless. fantastic. Folks, uh, you guys that have been watching this for the past hour and nine minutes, uh, thank you so much. If you're not subscribed to Police Off the Cuff on our YouTube, please go to our channel, subscribe, hit the thumbs up, ring the bell. We also have a Patreon and we have a YouTube memberships. We're closing in on 100 paid members. We love you guys. Uh, uh, the first level is the bucket. Second level is polish my rack. The third level is dipped in butter. And the fourth level where there's only one guy who pays $49.99 a month to watch us. That's heated dipped in butter. So he's got the butter all to himself. But anyway, folks, thank you so much. I'm Bill Cannon on behalf of myself and Phil Grimaldi and Judge Patricia Domango. Have a great night and be safe. Good night, Stay everyone. Going. Thank you. One episode just ain't enough to 